Well, it was during my Princeton seminary years, which were not all that long ago. 30 years goes by pretty quickly. I drove a taxi cab at night and on the weekends to make a living while I was in school. Most of my fares were businessmen going to and from the three metropolitan New York City airports. And I can remember one evening driving a gentleman back from JFK, and we began to talk. I'd driven him in the past, but hadn't had much of an opportunity to speak with him. As some of you know, there's not a lot of people that really want to talk to cab drivers. So it was difficult to get a conversation going, but on this particular night I did, and I asked him what he did for a living. And he then began to explain that he was working on cutting-edge communications technology that would revolutionize our industry. He described a whole new world to me where it would be possible for us to stand in a field in Africa and talk to someone in the United States using a very small handheld device that would also have the capability, believe it or not, of sending written messages back and forth. Without an extension cord, I said? (laughs) Imagine that. The future has arrived. We are living in an age of lightning-fast communication. If you want to send a message to someone, there's all kinds of different options. Cell phones enable us to talk with anyone at any time. If that line is busy, you can always text somebody. I'm sure that you've noticed that the younger generation in particular is very fond of texting and often won't respond unless you text them. If you can't reach someone on their cell phone or text them, you can also call their office or their business phone, or if you're like me, you can still reach people through email. When these modern communication devices aren't getting you the connection that you'd hope for, There are, of course, other options. There's Facebook and Twitter, which are very popular these days. How about LinkedIn? Do any of you get LinkedIn on your computer? I get a lot of people asking me about that one. Some people have personal blogs, and now there's something called Instagram. And that, I'm told, is faster even than Twitter. No matter where you go in the world today, Modern technology has made it possible for us to stay in touch and to stay connected. And yet, for all the ways in which we have this technology, there's still one connection that is far more important and abundantly more powerful than all the others combined. It's not modern. It's, in fact, very ancient. You don't need a cell phone or an iPad or a Twitter account to send him a message, and it's not possible to access his blog or to Facebook him as a friend. Jesus uses some timeless imagery to talk about this connection between himself and his followers in John 15. These words of our Lord are familiar to most of us, but what exactly is he talking about? And why is he comparing our connection to him with a vine and its branches. Before we answer that question, it's important to remember that the Gospel of John contains what are called seven I am statements. These are statements of Jesus. 
Each of these are unique to John's gospel. You won't find them anywhere else. You may recall that each one is connected to an event that is going on around him. He responds to the individual circumstances by using everyday language and imagery so that his listeners will understand. It's a brilliant strategy. Jesus knows we don't always catch on to what he's saying right away, so he's making it easier for us. He knows that we need help. For example, in John 6, in that text we read about the feeding of the 5,000, and then we see Jesus turn to his followers and make an incredible statement about himself when he says, I am the bread of life. In John chapter 9, Jesus just as done, finished, and completely healing a man born blind. So the second I am statement is clear. I am the light of the world. You are familiar with the rest of those statements. I am the gate and the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth and the life. I am the true vine, says Jesus. These are the first six of seven I am statements. Notice, in looking at those, that each of them point to Jesus as Creator, Redeemer, Savior, and Lord. These are titles for Jesus that can only be claimed by God Himself. He is the only one who can satisfy the hunger and the thirst we have for a fuller and a richer life. So if you are struggling and desiring a deeper connection to him this morning, I suggest there is no better or simpler illustration of this than the vine and the branches that we read about in this text. When our Lord says, I am the true vine, he is telling us something very significant about himself. He is saying that faith in him and him alone is the way to salvation. Now, in order to grasp the full implications of this statement, it's important to remember that in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel is referred to as the vine or the vineyard of God. So, the reference that Jesus is making to himself here as the true vine, the real, the genuine vine, as opposed to Israel, is extraordinary and extremely radical. We also know that at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, he was talking to them in this text, and it was right around the corner when he spoke these words to them. If you go back to chapter 14, we hear him say, do not let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He seems to say that because he knows what's ahead, and so do the disciples, and they're perplexed and afraid and not sure what the future will hold. So he wants to calm down their hearts, but he also wants to instruct and strengthen them for the challenges that are ahead. Perhaps the vine that Jesus was referring to looks something like this. For a moment, if you can, picture yourself standing next to him listening to him explain how this grapevine is like our relationship with him. Notice the fruit on that vine. Scholars speculate that as he was speaking, 
Jesus and his disciples had already left the upper room where they celebrated that last meal together and were now on their way to the Mount of Olives. And it was on the way that they probably came across one grapevine and perhaps even a whole vineyard. By telling us that he is the vine, Jesus is saying that he's the source. He provides our spiritual nourishment just like the vine is the source of strength and life for the branches. He's also telling us that we are the branches. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a branch. The question becomes, what kind of a branch are you? If you notice in the text, there's seven references to fruit in only eight verses. No branch can bear fruit by itself. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. This is my Father's giving that you may bear much fruit. You and I are made to bear fruit. Can you point to the fruit in your life? Are you a person who has fruit-bearing gifts that you can see, or are you a person that has trouble locating fruit in your life? Maybe you find that you're a person somewhere in between the two. Not a lot of fruit, but you hope that there would be, but there is evidence of God's grace working through you nonetheless. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches that grow off of him, and our job is to hold on to the vine. We cannot produce the fruit. It's simply an outgrowth of our connection to the vine. Fruit happens naturally as long as we understand our relationship with the vine. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we want to be the vine instead of the branch. Let me say that again. Sometimes we want to be the vine instead of the branch. Have you ever met someone like that? You don't have to look very far to find people like that. Prolific Christian author Max Lucado has written a provocative beatitude that makes this point better than I ever could. Blessed is the person who knows that there is only one God and stops applying for the position. It's really an age-old problem. It goes all the way back in time. C.S. Lewis once said, the moment you have a self at all, there is a possibility of putting yourself first. Wanting to be the center, wanting to be God. That was the sin of Satan. And that was the sin that he taught the human race. What Satan put into our heads as our remote ancestors was the idea that they could be like God's. They could set up on their own as if they'd created themselves. They could be their own masters, invent some sort of happiness for themselves outside of God. And out of that hopeless attempt has come this long, terrible history of mankind trying to find something other than God which will make us happy and content. Well, it goes without saying that being solidly connected is vitally important. All around the world, but particularly in the global south, 
the church of Jesus Christ is growing rapidly. Recent statistics tell us that in places like Africa, Central and South America, and in large parts of Asia, people are coming to faith and growing in discipleship in numbers that we have never seen before. The resources in those areas are small in comparison to other parts of the world, but the people are rich in their devotion to God and their love for one another. Recently, I received a letter from our friend Sam Stevens, who is one of our mission partners in India. The reports that are coming out of places like India are mind-boggling. Sam's the president of India Gospel League, an incredible difference maker in the Lord. He writes, Dear John, it is such a joy to send this note to you. Last evening I concluded a conference with 120 frontline church planters in Bihar. This state lies in the central eastern part of India and has the infamous reputation of being the graveyard of missions. Early missionaries, by the way, planted things, churches in that area. They never really took root. Those missionaries left, and 40, 50, 60 years later, others came back, and God now is doing a marvelous work there. Sam goes on, the present move of God in this region is like a breath of fresh air. Our goal is to plant 500 churches in the unreached villages in the next five years. The clarion call, a church in every village, which is no longer a graveyard of missions, but a vineyard with busy, bold, and deliberate laborers. Just like Jesus, who used everyday events for teaching eternal truths Our missionaries are reaching the masses. No wonder India Gospel League is bearing so much fruit. Sam and his team know how to use words and images that fit the culture in which they are serving. The branches are solidly connected to the vine and the fruit's everywhere. Just a few years ago, they had 500,000 children in their vacation Bible school. 500,000. I'm not exaggerating. God is on the move in the global south. And thanks to you, we're able to support several mission partners in that important work. We need to learn how to do this with people that we meet in our everyday lives. God wants to be ready. God wants us to be equipped for teachable moments where we can learn how to knit together the truth of the gospel with events of the day. We can follow the instructions of Moses when he told the Israelites how to pass God's truth along to each new generation when he said these words from Deuteronomy 11. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. One of the ways that we're doing that is by having our children join in worship for the first part of every service on Sunday. Another way that we're doing that is by introducing new styles of worship that reach out to embrace the next generation of believers. While the harvest may be bountiful in many places around the globe, in America and Europe, 
We've been in steady decline for many years. We know this. We're concerned about the future of the church in America, and while I'm not smart enough to tell you exactly how we're going to reverse this trend, I do think the problem might be similar to the one described in a story I came across the other day. Evidently, there was a missionary in Africa who had a small generator that supplied electrical power to his church and the small living quarters where he lived. Some nationals from an outer-lying mission came to visit one day, and they noticed a light hanging from the ceiling of this person's living quarters. They watched wide-eyed as the missionary moved the switch back and forth, turning the light on and off and on again. One of the visitors asked if he could have the light bulb to take home. So the missionary thought that he probably wanted this as a souvenir, so he said, sure, be my guest, and he gave him one of the light bulbs. On his next visit, the missionary stopped to visit this man who had asked for the bulb, and imagine his surprise when he saw that lone light bulb hanging in that missionary's living quarters by a string. The man did not understand, of course he couldn't, that the light bulb needed a source of power in order to light up the room. Without the power source, the light bulb is useless. When we are connected to the source of life itself, it's a fact that we will bear fruit. We are the vessel that God's life source flows through to produce that fruit. That's why Jesus says, If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. We can open our Bibles to almost any page and see that living for God is described as bearing fruit or being fruitful. John the Baptist speaks of true repentance as fruit. The Apostle Paul refers to winning converts as fruit and growth in holiness as fruit. In Galatians 5.22, we read about Christ-like character, which is called the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit, we see this theme throughout the pages of Scripture. If you remain in me, says Jesus, then you will bear much fruit. But in our world... That's not always easy. We have so many things that distract us. Making time in our busy schedules to be with God, to remain in Him, is one of the great challenges we all face. Even though we live in an age of instant messages and around-the-clock communication, there just is not an app that we can put on our iPhones that will automatically plug us into God and get the connection that we desire. And it's so important to remember that when Jesus says, remain in me, he is not saying that that's a once and for all action that we take, almost as if it's like calling the cable company and having your cable television set up. That's a once and for all, hopefully. But that is the temptation in an instant society. One of the beauties 
of the original Greek languages, the fact that this word remain suggests an ongoing action. Remaining in Christ means we're making moment-to-moment decisions to follow him. When you turn away from temptation, ask forgiveness, or recognize your own brokenness, you are remaining in Christ. When you take a step out of your comfort zone, or you decide to sacrifice time and money for someone who needs to be a, have a friend like you're making a decision to remain in Christ. Remaining, enduring, being steadfast in Him is what gives us the ability to demonstrate love and patient fruit, even when we don't feel like it, and even in times when we don't think the other person deserves it. Continuing with Jesus it was what allows us to be forgiving in, even when we've been hurt. The connection to the vine gives us the energy and the motivation to practice servant leadership even during dry spells in our lives. It's the connection that gives us the power of the Holy Spirit to persevere in times of great hardship and heartache. It enables us to do things for God we never thought possible. The connection to the vine will mean the growth of Christ-like character in you so that your ministry will be a blessing to others. You know, when I was a teenager, I used to visit my grandparents' home in the Central Valley of California. My grandfather was a transplanted farmer from Iowa, and my grandmother was born and raised in Oklahoma. The Central Valley of California in the summertime is extremely hot and particularly uncomfortable because my grandparents did not own an air conditioner. They had something called a swamp cooler, which was nothing more than a fan with a garden hose connected to one end. This was designed to have water go through and it would run through this plastic tubing and this very small fan would be on the other end and that would blow into the house semi-cool air. It didn't work very well. It was often 115 degrees outside, and so that air coming in would maybe lower it one or two degrees. And then during the winter season, the Thule fog was so thick you could barely see the street in front of your house. That was a tough place to visit as a teenager. But in my grandparents' backyard was a number of grapevines And I loved to help my grandfather prune them in the winter months. I would hack away at the old lifeless branches and carry off the broken remnants to be burned. And then in the summer, the vine would explode again with new growth because the old dead branches had been cut away and removed. Enduring the cold fog of that place and the extreme heat that we went through was well worth it just to catch a glimpse of all the new growth on those vines. Our walk of faith is like that too, sometimes very difficult. But we need to be prepared because the Bible says every branch that does bear fruit, God prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Pruning away old beliefs and fears that are no longer applicable and relevant for your life, patterns of living that aren't working for you and me 
are essential to our ability to keep experiencing new growth and new vitality in our relationship with Christ. Oftentimes we have to endure the heat and the pain associated with pruning, but the end result makes us stronger and better equipped to do God's work in the world. Perhaps it's been a while since you've experienced any new growth in your relationship with God. If that's the case, perhaps some pruning is in order. May God grant you the courage to ask him to come into your heart and to prune away the old so that the new life can begin. This morning, as we come to the Lord's table, we come to be engrafted more deeply into Jesus, the true vine. We come knowing that as the branches of the vine, we are dependent on him for our life and our nourishment. Apart from the vine, we can't do a thing. We come with the confidence that knowing that if we stay attached, Jesus will produce his fruit. The key to a bountiful harvest for us and for Christians everywhere is the connection to the one who supplies life to the branches. And finally, we come to the table asking the Lord to have his way with us during the season of pruning, whenever that is for you and me. We come asking him to engraft us more deeply into the life of his body. We come asking him, pleading with him, to cut away and to remove whatever needs to be left behind on the way to a more abundant life that we all strive for and want to see happen, something that the Lord wants us to have. We come this morning with open hearts, relying on the strength of his love. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we pray for a deeper connection to you as we now prepare our hearts and our minds to come to the table to enjoy this feast. So many things in our lives indicate that we don't always abide in you, and so help us, Lord, to grow and to change, to become the disciples you call us to be. In Christ's name.